God's Word. I want to go to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And I just want, I want to brag on Jesus this morning. Amen. He's worthy of all glory, all honor, and all praise. And as you're turning there and finding that, we're going to be in verses uh, 15 through 17. Colossae was a city about 100 miles from Ephesus, and the city was near an important trade route. And so because of this, you had all kinds of philosophies, all kinds of religious people, some religious swindlers that would gather together in this area. And even though Paul wrote this letter of Colossians, Paul didn't start this church, neither did he ever visit this church. As a matter of fact, this church was an outgrowth of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And Paul wrote this letter because there was a crisis in this church, and that crisis was new doctrines had begun to creep into the church. And so Paul wrote this letter to refute those new doctrines and new heresies and to establish the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what was this heresy? Well, it was a combination of Eastern philosophy, in other words, man-made opinions. And how many knows that there's no shortage of man-made opinions nowadays, right? Everybody's got an opinion. Also, it was Jewish legalism. Also, it was elements of Gnosticism, which were people that claimed to have a deeper knowledge of God than anybody else. And so these false teachers were undermining the person and work of Jesus Christ. And some were teaching that God did not create the world because they believed that physical matter was evil. And since God cannot create evil, they would surmise, well, since physical matter is evil and this earth is evil, God could not have created evil. And also God could not have, uh, have come to this earth in bodily form. And so it was in this case that they were saying that Jesus Christ was not the Son of God, that they were basically saying, well, He's just a great prophet. He was a great teacher, but they were, they, they were dethroning him of his rightful glory, okay? And so they weren't denying that Jesus was important, but they were saying that he wasn't central to everything. And Jesus is central to everything. He wasn't just a great prophet, he wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a miracle worker. He was the sinless son of God, the Messiah, amen? And so in chapter 1 of Colossians, Paul writes to set the record straight, so to speak. And in verse 13 and 14, Paul speaks of Jesus Christ as our Savior. I don't have these verses up there, but just let me kind of summarize those two verses. And in verse 13 and 14, the apostle Paul talks about how that Jesus delivered us also that Jesus transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And then he says that Jesus redeemed us and he's also forgiven us. See, no other person could have delivered us. No other person could transfer us. No other person could redeem us. And no other person could forgive us. So let's pick up in verse 15 of what Paul says about Jesus. Listen, he... That is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Now let's stop there for a second. When we see that word image in our text, 
That word means likeness, manifestation, or replica. In Paul's days, they would die or they would put a die or a stamp on somebody, and that stamp was the exact reproduction of what they called an image. And so Paul is telling the church at Colossae that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He is the precise copy of God because he is God. What he is saying is that when you see Jesus Christ, you also see the mighty God. Now, we believe in the Trinity here. What is the Trinity? It's three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, not modes now, okay? We don't believe in modalism, which means that God took form a mode, and he ceased being God, but now he became the Son, and, and then he ceases being the Son, and now he becomes the Holy Spirit. No, we believe in the Trinity, three persons in the Godhead, okay? And so what Paul is saying here is that Jesus Christ is God. He's the exact replica of God because he is God. Look at John 14, 8 and 9 before we get back to our text. Look what Philip says. Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Now what does Jesus say in verse 9? He says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Understand that. Hebrews 1 and 3 says, And he, that's Jesus, is the radiance of his glory, and look at this, and the exact representation of his nature. And so Paul is saying this thing that you're saying about Jesus is not God, that he's just a good prophet, that's false. Jesus Christ is the exact image of God. Now let's move on to verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1. He says about Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. Now the first thing we realize is that Jesus is matchless. Okay? Now let's look at this word here, firstborn of all creation. That word firstborn can have two different meanings, okay? The first is a more literal meaning, which simply means that someone is born first in their family, okay? In other words, it's birth order is chronologically. But this is not what this means here, okay? The second meaning is that someone has the rights, has the authority of Something. In other words, he's supreme. He's firstborn. Let me give you an illustration of this in the Bible. If you go to Psalms chapter 89, verse 20, the psalmist there is writing about David, okay? And in verse 20 of Psalms 89, he says, I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil, I have anointed him. And then the next five or six verses, he begins to describe, he's talking about David in those verses. Then if you skip down to verse 27, he's still talking about David, he says this, I also shall make him my firstborn. Now, if you know the story of David in 1 Samuel chapter 16, 
How many knows that David was not the oldest, right? David was the eighth son of Jesse. And so how could David be the firstborn if he was the eighth son of Jesse? He couldn't be as far as chronologically, okay? So what he says is that the firstborn here means the highest of the kings of the earth. And so what, what Paul is saying about Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ is the highest. There's no one greater than Jesus Christ in all this earth. Now, Paul says in Romans 8, 29, that Jesus Christ is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In Revelations 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 5, says that Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Put that up there for Revelations 1 and 5. I'm sorry, I'm going fast. Revelation 1, 5. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Here we go again. This word firstborn cannot be chronologically. Because how many people know that Lazarus was raised from the dead before Jesus was? Right? Jesus raised other people from the dead. So it's not chronologically here. When we read the word firstborn here, it's talking about his majesty, his superiority, his supremacy, his preeminence. And what Paul is saying is, Jesus Christ is the central of everything. He's not just a good prophet. He's not just a great man. He is preeminent. He is supreme in all creation. So not only is Jesus Christ matchless, but he's also the maker. Let's go back to our text, verse 16. In Colossians chapter 1. Look what he says here. He says, for by him, that's Jesus, all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So we see that Jesus is not only matchless, we would say that Jesus is the maker. Now scientists and philosophers down through the ages have searched for in vain for what some call the theory of everything, which means why, are, why is everything here the reality of everything? Let me say it like that. They have tried to explain the reality of everything. And so the point that Paul is making here is that Jesus has sovereignty over everything. He is the creator, and Jesus is not only the creator, he also provides the purpose for his creation. Look what he says. He says that Jesus created all things. And you can detect Paul's heresy that, that he's trying to combat in mind here. Because he talks about in this verse 16, he talks about how he created everything. And then look what he says here. He says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Now, these are only what Paul is listing here is what we would call different classifications of 
spirits or angelic beings. Okay? And what Paul is trying to help them understand is that Jesus Christ created these things. Okay? What is the big deal about that? Well, if you remember in Romans chapter 1, when Paul talks about how that man has devolved, he says they began to worship the creature instead of the creator. Okay? Do you realize that there's people here, not necessarily here, but there's people, they get more excited about somebody talking about an angel than they do about Jesus. Oh, if somebody said an angel showed up, woo, man, we would just, we would, we would sling from chandeliers if we had some chandeliers in here. But if Jesus is here, we're used to that. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus is not only majestic, he's the maker of all things. He's the one that created everything. Ephesians 1.21, Paul says that he is far above all rule, authority, and power, and dominion. He's above everything, so we should worship and follow only Jesus. Hebrews 1 and 10 says, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. John 1 and 3 says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. All things means all things. Even the hill called Golgotha was created by him. Even the thorns that pierced his brow... Guess what? It was created by him. Even the cross that he hung on, guess what? It was created by him. He is the maker of all things. Right. Right. Now let's look at Isaiah 45, 5 through 7. He says, and we'll pick up the third line, last, ver last word that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Now look what he says here. I am the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. Hmm. We don't like that part. We don't like the part where everything's falling apart and we say, well, look what the devil's doing. See, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I refuse to have a belief, a religious belief, that the devil is sovereign over things. God is sovereign over this world. Okay? And the devil is just a tool in God's hand. See, the devil tried to, or the devil thought that he had Jesus right where he wanted him when he crucified him. But that was all part of God's plan. And what I'm saying is this. 
in this day we are living in, don't for one moment think that God is not still in control. He creates everything. He creates likeness. He creates... See, I, I was reading this past week in, in Chronicles, and there was a time when the enemy came and attacked, and my Bible told me, and I don't have this in my, in my notes, but I just want to put this in there. The Bible said that this was the Lord's work. This was the Lord's doings. In other words, what God's people thought was something that was of the devil or something that was of evil, it was God's doings that was bringing his people back to him. And there's, there's times when God will allow us to go through calamity to show us that we need to get back to him. And so we got to realize that Jesus Christ, he's matchless. He's also maker. Now let's go to the third one that Paul says in verse 17 is, and this is what I want to, this is my main thing I want to look at tonight or this morning, is that he's not only the matchless one, he's not only the maker of everything, but he's also the maintainer of everything. Look what he says, verse 17. It says, he is before all things. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? He said, before Abraham was, I am. And in him, in Jesus, all things hold together. Now, there's a good bit of Christians that have the view that God created the universe and he just simply let it go. And they assume that he's just sitting back, hands-off approach, and just simply watching everything happen. And if something bad happens, all of a sudden he'll intervene in that situation. But my Bible tells me that Jesus holds all things together. In other words, that word hold together means coherence. It means stability. See, physicists have attempted to understand what sustains the universe since the time of Isaac Newton. Scientists know there is something that holds everything together in our universe, but they have not been able to discover it. We know that all atoms are made up, all matter is made up of atoms. And atoms consist of protons, neutrons, and electrons. They are what's called the atomic glue or the atomic force that holds everything together. And the reason why this world is a cosmos and not a chaos is because Jesus Christ holds it together. Think about it. Jesus Christ is the cohesive force, he's the glue, he's the power that holds everything together. See, Jesus is not only the creator of the world, the maker of the world, he's also the maintainer of the world. By him everything came to be, and by him everything continues to be. Now let me break this down for you, okay, and I don't want to get too deep here. But this world that we're living in right now is spinning at 1,000 miles per hour. Now listen, I can't even get on a playground, a merry-go-round. 
without getting dizzy and wanting to that, you know. But yet here I am on this planet and I am spinning around at a thousand miles per hour. I don't understand, as one man said at one time, why don't, you know, if I want to go to L.A., why don't I just get in a helicopter and rise up and wait for L.A. to get to me? <laughs> but do you realize if this world slowed down, we would either freeze or we would either burn. So it has to rotate at a certain speed constantly. Do you realize that the earth's distance from the sun is just right? If we got too close, we would burn up. If we got too far, we would freeze to death. Our earth is tilted at 23 degrees, an angle of 23 degrees. It enables us to have four seasons. If it were tilted anymore, the temperature would swing too much between hot summers and super cold winters. If the moon didn't remain at the distance it is, the ocean tides would drown us. The air that I'm breathing is the exact right amount that I need in order to survive. Think about it. What are the chances that two things could get together in outer space somewhere and all of a sudden meet up and create a big bang and then all of a sudden you had the earth exactly the way it needed to be tilted. You had it the exact distance it needed to be from the sun. You had a moon exact distance it needed to be. I'll tell you what the probability of that is. The same probability that a F4 tornado would come through Willingham's junkyard in Coleman. And when it got through, you had a 747 jumbo jet. That's how likely for something like that to happen. Amen. What are you saying? Because, you know, we've heard all our lives that there would be no oil by the year 2000. We've heard that by the year 2013, New York City is going to be underwater. We've heard that the ice caps will disappear by 2014. And I'm here to tell you, I don't believe a word of it. Okay? I'm not saying we, can't, we shouldn't take care of our planet. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying I don't believe a word of it. Because, you know the reason why I don't believe a word of it? Because I serve a Savior that not only made this thing, He maintains everything. And you know what my Bible tells me in 2 Peter 3 and 7? Look what He says. It says, But by His word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved. You know what that word reserved means? It means it's being kept, it's being preserved until the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. This planet is not going anywhere until God says it's time. 
because he is the atomic glue. He's what holds everything together. Now, why should that be good news for me? Because the same God that holds all of this together is the same God that holds me together. Do you realize that there are over 100 billion stars and the Bible says he calls them all by name? And if he is that concerned about a star, you know he is much more concerned about me. And if he can hold all this stuff together where it works out just the way it's supposed to work out, there's nothing in my life that he can't hold together in my life. He's the wheel within a wheel. He's the center of everything in my life. So why should I worry? Why should I fret? The same God that spoke this, this universe into to existence the same God that holds everything together is the same God that keeps me from falling apart when this seems like this whole world is going crazy he's the one that holds me together Amen. Amen. That's right. yes. Psalms 27 look what David says Psalms 27 And David wrote this psalm before he became king, while he was running from Saul. And David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Now David had enemies that were literally trying to hunt him down and kill him, okay? I doubt many of us, if any of us in here, have actually had to run from people this week because they were trying to literally kill us, okay? And so here is a man that has enemies all around him, and this is what he writes, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Now look what he says then. He says, the Lord is the defense of my life. That word defense can be translated fortress, it can be translated rock, it can also be translated force think about it the same way physicists are trying to discover the atomic force that holds everything together that keeps everything from falling to pieces David says the Lord is my force he keeps everything from falling apart in my life 
even though I'm surrounded by troubles, even though I'm surrounded by enemies, even though I'm surrounded by things that are trying to destroy my family, trying to destroy my children, trying to destroy my mind, he says, you know what? I've got a force, an inner force that keeps me strong, that keeps me going. The Lord is the stronghold. The Lord is the force of my life. Praise be unto God. And then he says, verse 2, when evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Then he says, though a host encamped against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me in spite of this, I shall be confident. He says, though an enemy, though a host rise up against me, my heart will not fear. Now, some of us need to hear this today. Because we are literally living in fear today like no other. We are scared to death of what is going on and what is going to happen. Okay? And I'm not immune from it. It comes and attacks me. Attacks me. As a matter of fact, we went to Coleman yesterday. I had to go by the ATM. And so I put my card in the ATM and I touched those numbers and I've got this cut I'm healing from on my finger and as soon as I got through touch those numbers, I reached down, I did so right here, to my, I put my finger in my mouth. I said, oh, that's it. I'm dead in two weeks. <laughs> I'm gone. That's it. Gonna buy my barrel plotter for service today. But it's amazing how we have allowed fear to, uh, to grip us. I'm not saying be stupid. I'm just saying that you cannot live in a state of fear like that as a child of God. If you believe He's the force that is holding your life together, if you believe that... See, we don't like a sovereign God because if we believe God is sovereign, then that means the bad stuff that happens to us, that means God, that God didn't have no control over that. Now, we may not like it, but I just believe God's in control and he's created me for his purpose and for his glory. And sometimes you got to go through the storms. And it has nothing to do with the devil taking you through those things. It has something with God taking you through those things to show you that you need him and to make you more and more like Jesus Christ. Amen. And so David says, my heart will not fear. You know the reason why David could, could, could have a heart that didn't fear? It's because that his heart was fixed on God. See, when you fix your heart on the news, 
when you fix your heart on the doomsday, when you fix your heart on those things, don't be surprised if all of a sudden your mind is going crazy and you can't even think straight. Why? Because your heart is fixed on something other than God. He says, though war rise against me. In other words, it's not just a mental thing here. It's not just that he's paranoid and worried about these people that are out there that he can't see. He says, even if he gets in a battle with them, he says, in spite of this, I shall be confident. Why was David confident? Because he knew there was a spiritual force in his life that was holding him together. Every time David went up against the enemy as a young shepherd boy or even as a young man here, when it seemed like that all was lost and it was over with, David could recall in his mind to a time when the prophet Samuel came to his dad's house and told David, you are going to be the next king and there was nothing in this world Saul could do about it. There was nothing in this world the devil could do about it. There was nothing in this world no ruler could do about it. Why? Because David knew that God would work out his plan for his life. And now you got to realize as a child of God, God is in control. The same God that is holding the sun where it needs to be, holding the moon where it needs to be, creating the air like it needs to be, spinning in this world like it needs to be is the same God that can take care of you and me. He's matchless. He's the maker and he's the maintainer and he's the Messiah and he is coming again so we can be confident because Jesus Christ is greater than anything that we ever face in this world. Amen. Come on, be playing. Play that. You deserve the glory. Let's all stand. What about you this morning? Does it feel like your life is falling apart? Feel like your family's falling apart? Well, let me tell you something. As a child of God, Jesus is holding you together. He's holding you together. Oh, there's times you feel like it's over with. There's times you feel like you're about to come unraveled at the seams. But you know what? There's something that just keeps you going day by day, step by step. And that something is a someone, and it's Jesus. He's matchless. He's the maker of all things. He's also the maintainer of of everything and he is maintaining my life as Paul would say in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 being confident of this very thing that he that began a good work in me will complete it will perform it until the day that Jesus Christ calls me home and you know what? As a child of God, I can be confident even though an army is surrounding me. I can be confident even though enemies are surrounding me. Why? Because my hope, my confidence is in Jesus Christ. And if he created it, 
He can sustain it. Amen. He can sustain it.